2 Timothy chapter number 4, and I'll begin reading in verse number 1. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when, the, when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Together in verse 8. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but to all them also that love his appearing. We're preaching tonight on this, the anticipation of Christ's return. Now, we're going to take it from the angle of how or why or what creates the anticipation of Christ's return and then look at maybe what takes away from that. But I think you'll understand as we go into it the direction we're trying to go. So let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing and get into it. Father, we are thankful, thankful for the fact of Christ's return. We're thankful, Lord, that it could come at any moment. We have an anticipation of it. We look forward to it. And Lord, it gives us some help as we go through some things in this life, knowing that there's a life beyond this life, a world beyond this world. And this is not it. Our hope does not set in this world. Our hope sets in heaven. So, Father, we're thankful for that. Now, I pray, Lord, you speak to our hearts as we, even as we look at this, I think, an important topic for your people. I think something that we need to understand and practice. Help us to see it. Help us to understand it. Help us to put it in practice in our life. We ask in Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. Now, if you go back with me to our text, first, uh, sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8. I think there's something that we can infer from this verse. and We'll look at it again. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge. Now, he says that right after he gives his testimony. There, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. In other words, his death is approaching. Uh, henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And then he makes this statement at the end of verse 8. And not to me only, but to all them also that love his appearing, the appearing of Christ. So we can infer from that verse is that not everyone loves or anticipates a return. Because the idea here is the crown goes to those who, uh, all them also that love his appearing. So what can be inferred is not, not everyone. So only those who love his appearing receives his crown. Not everyone is loving or anticipating his return. Now I think that would be people in general. Probably most of the saved aren't, sorry, most of the unsaved, sorry about that. Most of the unsaved are not anticipating. Uh, maybe they should, maybe they might change from being unsaved to saved. But probably most of the unsaved are not anticipating. But also, not just people in general, but believers in particular, I think, is what that's directed to. Not all believers 
anticipate the return of Christ. Not looking forward to it. Not, not saying it could be at any moment. Not saying, I'm, boy, I want it to happen. Now, why would there not be an anticipation? Well, when you ask people about the return of Christ, I think some would respond, and I'm, I'm talking about believers here, some would respond with a flippant, yeah, whatever. Yeah, God's going to do what God's going to do. I ain't really concerned about it. Well, yet the Bible says all those that love his appearing. Some, and I, those probably maybe don't even believe in it, maybe don't think about it, don't even, you know, it's just not even on their radar. So some would be maybe kind of flippant about it. Some would respond with a cursory, well, that would be nice. It would be nice that if the Lord returned, that would be a nice thing to happen. They believe in it, but it doesn't really affect how they live. They don't, they don't uh, organize their life. It doesn't animate their life. It, their life is not prioritized around the return of Christ. But then there are those, hopefully some in this room tonight, there are those who yearn for it. They think about it. They talk about it. They sing about it. They dream about it. They look forward to it. They're seeking, they're yearning, they're desiring, they're anticipating Christ's return. Now, I believe that all of us as born-again believers should be in group three. Those who are yearning, anticipating for it. Now, why do I think that? Well, let's go back to our text. Chapter 4, verse 7. And notice what it says again. 2 Timothy chapter 7, sorry, chapter 4, verse 7. He says, again, Paul speaking, I fought a good fight, I've finished my course, I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but to all them also that love his appearing. So the first thing is that the Lord wants us. If the Lord is giving us something, a reward, a, a crown, be, because we love his appearing, that means he's rewarding right behavior. So the Lord wants us to anticipate his return. Now, interesting, go, again, go back to our text. He says, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness based on fought a good fight, finished my course, kept the faith. And then he says, also this crown of righteousness is laid up for those who love his appearing. So is it right to fight the good fight? Yep. Is it right to finish your course? Yep. Is it right to keep the faith? Yep. So therefore, it's right to love his appearing, because it's the crown of righteousness is applied both ways there. So God wants us to anticipate his return. That's why we should be in group three. But watch this. It's also essential in our sanctification, in our Christian growth. Yearning, anticipating, desiring the return of Christ is important, and I would say essential, in our own sanctification. Go with me to 1 John chapter 3. Now, we haven't gotten to the, the meat of the message as far as the application. We'll get to that in a moment. And we'll have our cursory three points, and then we'll add another four just for the sake of it. So we've got seven points tonight. And there's pizza in the back. 1 John chapter 3. That's my, that's my way to keep you, keep you, keep you in here, because if you leave, you don't get the pizza. You've you got you to stay for all seven points. 1 John chapter 3. Look with me in verse number 1. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. 
Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. Man, isn't that, isn't that true? Say, why, why is the world so antagonistic towards believers? They crucified our Lord. What do you think they think about you? Verse number two, beloved, now are we the sons of God and doth not yet appear. It doth not yet appear what we shall be. We'll come back to that thinking here in a moment. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope, and this is believers, every man that hath this hope in him, what's the hope? That when he appears, in other words, this anticipation of his appearance, and every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. So the, 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 the yearning, the anticipating, causes a purifying process to happen. Go with me to Mark chapter 13. Mark chapter 13. Mark 13 in your Bibles, and go with me to verse 32. Now, we're just laying a little bit of a foundation before we get into, really, the, the, the guts of the message. Mark 13, look with me in verse 32. But of that day and that hour knoweth no man. So when you see the book, 2021 20, Reasons Why Jesus is Coming in 2021, just remember that verse. But of that day and that hour know no man, know not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. Take ye heed, watch, and pray, for you know not when the time is. For the Son of Man is a man taken a far journey, who left his house, and gave authority to his servants, and every man his work, and commanded the porter to watch. Watch ye therefore, for you know not when the master of the house cometh, at even, or at midnight, or at the cockcrow, or at morning. Lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. This idea of watch isn't this, isn't going like this. That's not what he means. Over and over again, the Lord uses different uh, teachings like this in the New Testament. He talks about the parable of the talents, several different things. And the idea is, is when the Lord leaves and gives you something to do, when the Lord returns, he wants you to be doing what he told you to do. And the reason you're doing it is because you're expecting his return. So that's what he says, expect his return and be doing what he's told you to do. And so it's essential because if I expect the Lord to show up any moment, I'm thinking about how I'm living today because today I may see him. And so it's essential for our sanctification. It, we purify ourselves. We consider the fact that he's coming at any time. So all believers should be in this group that we're anticipating the return of Christ. Now it gets us to where we want to go tonight. So how do we get to this point where we begin anticipating it? So I'm going to share with you several things tonight that I think will increase that anticipation, that will cause us to start desiring, start yearning, starting wanting to see Him, starting wanting to, uh, uh, the, the, for Christ's return. In other words, we start anticipating the return of Christ. And then we're going to take some time at the end and show you that flip the we'll flip it and show you the opposite what what causes believers not to anticipate or what causes that anticipation to decrease why why does it begin not yearning but waning what what, what causes that and we'll look at that for a few minutes as well so begin with i want you to understand several things that i think why some believers are more excited about christ's return than others now we all should be excited but we're all not excited 
That's why he said, those who love my appearing, I'm going to give them a crown. They're anticipating. So what creates an anticipation, a desire for this return of Christ? I'm glad you asked. Acts chapter number 1. I'm going to give you the first thing. I'm going to give you uh, four things that create it, or encourage it, I should say, and then three things that discourage it. So I'm going to give you the four things that encourage the anticipation. Acts chapter 1, look with me in verse number 6. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, this is now after Jesus' death, 40 days continued ministry there, I mean, ministry that continued after his death, and now he's getting ready after his resurrection, death, burial, and resurrection. So he's resurrected, 40 uh, days of ministry. He's getting ready to ascend up to heaven. This is where we're at here in Acts chapter 1. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, will thou this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? And he said unto him, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons, kind of similar to what we read in the other verses, which the Father put in his own power. But you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witness unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea, and in Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up to heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you've seen him go into heaven." So the first word I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you each of these going to be one word. Here's word number one, fellowship. Well, why would I say that? Why were these disciples here standing there like this? Well, first of all, he just ascended. That would cause you. But you know what they're waiting for? Waiting for, for his return. They're like, well, let's just keep watching. Maybe he'll come back. There was an anticipation because of fellowship. Let me explain. When you think about love, the best way to spell the word love is four letters. And here's the four letters. T-I-M-E. Time. Time is what binds hearts together. Time together binds us. Time together begins uh, uh, bringing us together, desiring each other's uh, um, um, presence, desiring time with each other. It begins binding our hearts. And when we're not together, because we have been together, when we're not together, it begins a yearning to be back together. And the reason that these disciples had a desire for the Lord is because they had spent time with the Lord. And because they had spent time with the Lord, now when he's gone, there's a yearning still towards him. Hey, maybe he'll come back now. Let's just wait a few minutes. We want to spend some more time with him. Now, listen to what I'm about to say. Those who spend time with Christ on earth yearn to see and talk to him personally. Isn't that true? Those who read their Bible and pray and walk with the Lord, there is a desire in their hearts that they really want to meet the Lord. They want to talk to the Lord. They want to converse with the Lord, and they like to do it face-to-face. There's almost, and if I can say this appropriately, there's almost a jealousy that we have towards those who pass away. We're like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that you lost your loved one, but man, I'm happy for your loved one. They're in heaven. 
if they're saved. They're in heaven. They're talking to Jesus. They get to ask him Bible questions. Isn't it going to be an amazing thing to go to heaven and say, Jesus, what did you mean when you said this? And he's going to tell you, and you're going to like, oh, how come I didn't see that? Oh, that what, what, what about this right here? Oh, man, that's so good, too. It's going to be amazing to be in heaven with the Lord, to talk with him, to see the one who died for us, to understand really how great his love was. The more we spend time with the Lord here on earth, the more our hearts yearn to spend time with him personally, to ask him, to talk to him, to converse with him, to praise him. So I'm going to give you this statement. It has a little sting to it, but it's good for us. Those who have no anticipation to spend time with Christ, then probably are not spending time with Christ now. If there's no yearning towards Christ, if you're like, yeah, whatever, when it happens, it happens. When I get there, I get there. I'm going to just say this. and it, okay. It's a wide brush. If it's not you, then it's not you. But generally speaking, here's how it is. If there's no yearning for the return of Christ, there's no walking with Christ right now. Because he's a stranger to you. So why would you yearn towards him? And so one of the things that creates an anticipation, a desire for Christ's return, is a walking with Him right now. And as we walk with Him right now, we want to keep walking with Him. We want to keep spending time with Him. You know, you think of the story of, of Enoch. The Bible says he walked with God, and he was not. It's almost like the Lord enjoyed so much walking with Enoch, he just said, just keep walking, come on home, just keep walking. I like spending time with you. And boy, those who walk with Christ now want, I, I believe, anticipate, desire for that return of Christ. So what begins increasing this anticipation? Number one, a fellowship with Christ here and now. Number two, go with me to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. You're going to go to two places on this one. 1 Thessalonians 1, look with me in verse number 6. Now, Brother Choma talked about this in a, in a Sunday school lesson a month ago or so, maybe two months ago. It kind of rings in my memory a couple, not too long ago. But I'm going to show it to you again. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, look with me in verse number 6. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction, with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that ye were in samples, or examples, to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God were to spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Now look at verse 10. And to wait for his son from heaven. Now, that's written not like, because we're all waiting. But what it means is, they're waiting earnestly, desiringly, anticipating. That's the, that's the idea there, that they're anticipating this to happen. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Now notice, part of this anticipation begins back here in verse number 6, having received the word in much affliction. All of their living for the Lord, serving the Lord, uh, 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 trying to minister uh, for the Lord is being done in affliction. 
And part of the result of that is they're waiting, they're anticipating the return of the Son from heaven. I'm going to go show you another place. Go with me to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. Look with me in verse number 7. James 5, verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brethren, now watch this phrase, unto the coming of the Lord. So the patience, that's the, be patient to this. this. In other words, we're patiently waiting for this. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it, until he receive the early and latter rain. Be ye also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Same idea as verse 7. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Again, kind of remind him again about the return of Christ. Take my brethren, the prophets, who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. You've heard the patience of Job and seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. All this is said, patiently waiting for the Lord in the midst of affliction. That's the idea. So number one is fellowship. Walking with the Lord now creates an anticipation of walking with the Lord then even better. So, there's a, so fellowship increases the anticipation of the Lord. Number two is the word affliction. The affliction in this world from following Christ makes us yearn for Christ's return. Part of that is this. It's the basic thing. Let me ask you this. Do you enjoy being in a world that seems that everything about God is hated and, 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 and laughed at and scoffed at and mocked and ridiculed? Doesn't it kind of, I mean, are you ever offended at the world, how badly the world treats our Lord? It offends me, and I really don't like it. And I really don't, can, can, I don't like continually being a part of it. I'd, I'd much rather be in heaven. I'm much happy for Christ's return. And so, really, I would... This may sound kind of weak, but I would like to get out of the affliction. I'd rather serve the Lord without the affliction. I'd rather serve the Lord without the, without the hassle of the unsaved or the hassle of the flesh or the hassle of the world, the hassle of Satan. So partly, we want to get out of the affliction. Also, let me tell you this, we want to see the Lord vindicated. We want to see truth triumph. We want to see right ruling. We want to see Christ crowned. Now, I'm not happy. I'm not excited. I don't, I don't want anyone to die without Christ and go to hell. I have no desire for that. But I do have great desire that every knee bows and every tongue confesses that He is who He says He is, the Lord God Almighty. And so the affliction that's in this world causes us to anticipate, to desire the return of the Lord. We love Him. And we hate to see his name soiled. It, it just bothers us that people stand up and just talk so, so dismissively about the things of God. Like they're so smart that they're smarter than God because they have a bunch of initials after their name. They figured out there is no God. We all came from a bunch of monkeys and, and eventually climate change is going to destroy everything. But none of that is true. There is a God. I didn't come from a monkey. I came from Adam, who was created by God. And the only thing that's going to destroy this world is Jesus Christ after a thousand-year millennial reign. And so we love him, and we hate to see his name soiled. We want him vindicated because we love him, because that's, the, that's what, kind of what happens when you love someone. You want them to be taken care of. 
Go with me to Revelation 22. This is kind of maybe the way we want things. This is how it's going to be because it's in the Bible, and this is what we're looking for happening. Revelation 22. You might want to put a bookmark because here in a little bit we're coming back to Revelation 22 at another verse. Look with me in Revelation 22. Look with me in verse 20. He which testifies these things, now he goes through in Revelation, and now we're at the end of Revelation, talking about how the Lord is bringing everything to a close, the return of the Lord, his thousand-year reign, all these things happening. Notice the response. He which testifies these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Notice the response of John. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. This is what we want. We want you to come. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. That's our desire. God's purpose accomplished. The return of Christ happening. So we have fellowship with the Lord. It creates an anticipation of the Lord's return. We have affliction in this world. It creates an anticipation of the Lord's return. There's a third. Go with me to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. What does it mean? Verse number 11. And this is kind of a, maybe a, of a composite or accumulation of point one and two, kind of putting them together and looking at them as a whole, maybe. Titus chapter 2, look with me in verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So number three, the third word is the word obedience. So we have fellowship with them, we have affliction in this world, and then obedience. The Bible teaches us here in, our, in, in this uh, verse here that we are supposed to deny ungodliness. That's verse 12. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts It also teaches us, in verse 13, looking for that blessed hope. And so the same Bible that teaches us to deny in godliness teaches us to look for His appearing, both of which is obeying Him. Now, here's why I say that. Those who are obeying are always more excited than those who are not obeying. When you're the kid at home, and your mom and dad said, do all of these things before I show up, and you know what time they're showing up, and you got all those things done, and you look at the clock and you say, okay, they're going to be home in any minute. I'm okay. I got all the chores done. All everything's marked off. But if you're the kid who hasn't done it yet, and, you, and you're thinking they're going to be here any minute, you're kind of in a panic. You're kind of worried. You're probably thinking where I'm going to hide. You know, maybe I'm, I'm going to find a place in this closet or something because bad things are about to happen. Obedience creates an anticipation. If I know, now, none of us are perfect. None of us have arrived. None of us are some level that we walk around and say, hey, look, I'm so good. Okay, we're not talking about being cocky or anything like that. But if we have surrendered our hearts to serve the Lord, and we're trying to follow the Lord the best we can, and we're telling others about Christ, and we're trying to live right, and we're trying to be a good example and, and be our, let our light shine and be sold in this world, there is an anticipation because we know that the Lord, we want to hear these words. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. We anticipate that because we're living in obedience. I told you I hold your place in Revelation 22. Let's go back to it. Revelation 22 again. And now look with me in verse number 12. 
He says this in verse 12 of Revelation 22, and behold, I come quickly, which is what he said all the way down in verse 20. But here he makes a different statement. Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. When we think of reward, we always think of positive, right? You know, here's a, here's a lost dog, you know, bring him here, there's a reward. So we think that's a positive thing. And so typically in our minds, reward, when he says my reward is with me, we only think about, okay, he's going to reward all the obedience. But it means more than that. Because in Bible terminology, reward simply means he's going to give you what you deserve. And sometimes a reward is not a positive thing. Sometimes a reward is a negative. In other words, if you're not obeying me, then the reward is not going to be something that you're going to like. Let me show you what I mean. Go with me to, all the way back to Old Testament, Proverbs 26. Proverbs 26. And look with me in verse number 10. Proverbs 26.10, the great God that formed all things both rewardeth the fool and rewardeth transgressors. Well, that's not a good thing. That's not a positive. That's a negative thing. In other words, he's going to give them what they deserve, what they're supposed to get. And so when we think of this idea of obedience, that God's reward is with them. If I'm living obediently, there's a reward when he shows up. There's an anticipation because I know the Lord is going to be pleased by that. I don't have to be better than you. I don't have to be, I, I'm, I'm not, this is not a contest of who's going to be the, doing the most. This is, have I run my race the best I can? My comparison is not to you. My comparison is towards the Lord and towards what I, my, my potential. And how well I do that, I'm rewarded. So obedience brings an anticipation. Then there's a fourth. This is the fourth of the positives, and we'll get to a few negatives here. There's a fourth thing that creates that, that engenders or increases that, that anticipation. Go with me to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. So what helps us to be in that group 3 where we're yearning for his return? Looking forward to his return. Loving that appearance. Well, fellowship does it, affliction does it, obedience does it. And there's a fourth one. Philippians chapter 3, look with me in verse 20. For our conversation, behavior, is in heaven already. In other words, already this is what we're thinking. We're thinking about heaven, we're not thinking about earth. From whence also we, we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. That's a, really a power-packed verse. We'll get into it just slightly here. Go with me to Romans 8. Let me give you some more verses and then try to explain to you something that's, it's, I'm going to tell you, it's, it's, it's a little deep. You've got you to put your thinking cap on. We've talked about it before. We're going to talk about it again. Romans 8, go with me to verse 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Notice the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation, this, what he's going to do, this glorying he's going to do, for the manifestation of the sons of God. That's believers. 
For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth and pain together until now, and not only they, but ourselves also, which have, first, uh, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. So I'll give you the fourth word, and now I have to explain to what I mean. Fellowship, affliction, obedience. The fourth thing that increases this anticipation is the word expectation. And you're saying you can't define a word with the word. I'm not. There's an anticipation of the Lord's return because there's an expectation of something when that happens. The return of Christ begins, you're going to pay attention or you're going to be real confused real fast. The return of Christ begins the completion of our salvation. We use three terms, and I'm gonna, I, wanna, I don't want to confuse you, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it two ways. I want you to listen carefully. We talk about getting saved. That's our salvation. When we turn to Christ, we open our heart and receive him. We're sinners headed for hell. The only, only way we can get to heaven is through Jesus Christ and Christ alone. He died. His, only through the, his shedding of his blood is the remission of sins. Only thinking, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. When we get saved, we're dealing with the penalty of sin. What is the penalty of sin? Hell. I got saved. I got the assurance of my salvation in the fall of 1981, going on 40 years this year. And, at, and when I got the assurance of my salvation, I knew that the penalty of my sin was taken care of. His, my sins were placed on Jesus Christ. His righteousness was placed on me. The second part that we talk about is sanctification. That is what we're in right now as a believer. We are being separated from our sins. And we're putting off the old, the old man. We're putting on the new man. We're becoming transformed, which is our Sunday, current Sunday school lessons and our adult class, being transformed into the image of Christ. It's a process. This is immediate. We're in, as soon as I put my faith in Christ, I'm immediately born again. Sanctification is a process. It starts when you, as soon as you're saved, and it goes, and long as you live on this earth, you're in the process of sanctification. But someday there will be glorification. And this very flesh, this corruption, will put on incorruption. Mortality will put on immortality. See, I've been saved from the penalty of sin. God is working to free me from the power of sin. And someday I'll be completely free from even the very presence of sin. That's what we yearn for. We desire it. We battle the flesh every day. We battle sin every moment. The old man is always pulling us away, and we're always fighting against it. Our flesh, our, 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 our thinking is always uh, 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 inundated by flesh and by, and, by, and by false thinking. We don't even know it's false thinking. It just seems right until we realize, well, that was not so right according to the Bible. And it's a battle every single day. Our eyes look at things. Oh, I shouldn't have been looking at that. And, and we think, oh, I shouldn't have thought that. We say, oh, I shouldn't have said that. Man, I shouldn't have treated that person. It's a constant battle over the power of sin. And we have this yearning to be free from the very presence of sin. You know when that's going to happen? You know when that we get our glorified bodies? When we shall see him. 
That's talking about really the, 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 his appearing, not, not just at death. At death, our spirit goes to heaven. But when he returns, and we, the Bible says, at the last trump, the dead in Christ shall rise. And then we which are alive and remain will meet him in the air. And that moment in time, even those who have died before us, their bodies are taken out of the grave, and it is formed into a glorified body. And then we immediately, are, we're transformed into this glorified body, and we are free from the very presence of sin forever. That's what we yearn for. Now, I understand that someday, if I live long enough, i got another few years ahead of me, if I live long enough, and I die, this body goes into the ground, my spirit goes to heaven, and I'm free from sin there. But wouldn't it be great to be free from sin right this moment? Wouldn't it be great if, Jesus, if you heard that trump, and immediately you're in the, in, in the, in the, in seeing Jesus, his appearing is there, we meet him in the air, and we're free from the very presence of sin. That's the expectation of the people of God. And that expectation of the glorification causes an anticipation of his return. So what increases that desire for, the, for Christ's return? What increases that anticipation? Well, the fellowship, the affliction, the obedience, the expectation. Now let me give you what decreases. What hampers? So I'm going to tell you tonight, I can tell you believers, and probably you can tell me of believers, who would have sat in a church like this, and would have said, oh, yes, that, oh, yes, oh, oh, yeah, I believe that. Oh, I can't wait for Jesus to come. And now you can't get him in church. What, ha- what happens? What hampers? What takes away that anticipation? Well, the obvious would be the opposite of all the four things we said. You know, fellowship versus no fellowship. Well, no fellowship now is counter that. And the affliction, instead of, you know, we're afflicted and we're looking for the Lord to get us out of it. We, we, we get afflicted and we just, I quit. I can't, handle the, I can't handle that. Or maybe we're not obedient. Or maybe we're not fighting against the power of sin and so it doesn't bother us as much. So the obvious would be the, 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 the flip side of those four. But I think there are three specific things that hamper the anticipation that I want to look at with you tonight. Go with me to 1 Thessalonians. Why isn't all believers in group three? They're born again, but they don't anticipate the Christ's return. Well, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, look with me in verse 13. I think this is number one. Not necessarily in priority, but this is the first one we'll look at. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, so he's talking to believers, concerning them which are asleep, dead that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. Now we just quoted this, and we'll say it, now we'll just read it. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Now, these Thessalonians were ignorant of this. You know why they're ignorant of it? Because they didn't have 
The Bible wasn't completed yet. So Paul is now giving them First Thessalonians. So they're learning of this. They're new, most of them are new believers, maybe all of them. So they were ignorant of this, and he said, I don't want you to be ignorant. I want you to know what to look forward to. So maybe the number, it might be not just number one, but the number one in priority as well. The top reason maybe, why is there a hampering of the anticipation, or why isn't the anticipation there? Number one is the word ignorance. That seems to be a hateful word, but it simply means they don't know. Some are ignorant of the Lord's return. Either they haven't been taught, no one's ever taught them this, uh, or the things they've been taught are not the right thing, so they, you know, like Jehovah Witnesses and thinking soul sleep and all the kind of goofy things that they, they think in. So there's an ignorance about this, which is very sad because the Bible says this is our blessed hope. All they're thinking is, I just got to make it through another day. That's not how I think. I think this. I got to do is just wait for the Lord. He's going to come at any moment. I'm just going to serve him until he does. Listen for the trump because I'm waiting to see him. So number one is the word ignorance. If we're not aware of what the Bible teaches, then it's going to hamper the anticipation. Number two, probably the one you thought I would go to, and I am going to it now. Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24. And look with me in verse number 3. A little bit lengthy passage. Start in verse 3. I'm going to go down to verse 14. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, this is another one of those power-packed chapters, but we're just going to look at one aspect here. Matthew 24, verse 3. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Those are two separate things he's mentioning there, or they're mentioning. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes and divers, means many places, varied places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. But look at verse 12, because this is where we're going to. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. They got... That's all humankind, but I think in the context, he's really pointing to believers. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness to all nations, and then shall the end come. But look at verse 12. Because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. So ignorance, but number two, is sin. As we near the time of Christ's return, we see this dichotomy happening. Those who are staying faithful, those who are living for Christ, those who are, who are, who are still uh, wanting to serve Him, to live godly, the ones who are still trying to go soul winning, and all the things that we talk about, those who are remaining faithful stay excited about the return of Christ. But those who are compromising become cold and indifferent. The love of many, the Bible says, shall wax 
cold. Why? Because iniquity abounds. Sin begins sapping us, begins taking away that desire for the Lord's return. Sin in the Bible is likened to leprosy. First, it eats away your life. That's what sin does. And it usually does it, we're not even aware of it. By the time we're aware of it, we're usually in pretty big trouble. So it begins eating away our life. But the other thing that leprosy does, which really creates the big problem for leprosy, it deadens your senses. It eats away your nerves, but it deadens your senses. And that's what sin does. It deadens us to the things of God. We get so consumed with the world that we just get away from the Lord. And all we do is just live for this world, living for this world with no anticipation of the Lord's return. Ignorance does it. Sin does it. Now I want to show you the third one. Go with me to Romans 13. And we're coming close to the end of the message. Ignorance may be the big one because there's a lot of false teaching. Sin is obviously a big one. But this one may be the primary one among our type of churches, independent fundamental Baptists. Romans 13. Romans 13. And look with me down to verse number 11. And then we're going to go back. To, I should have told you, told you, hold your place back to Matthew 24. Romans 13, look with me in verse 11. And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. The reason you awake out of sleep is because you're in sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. Now, I don't want to back up and rehash everything we just taught, but that idea that now salvation is near is, is pointing towards that fulfillment of our salvation at the glorification. Verse 12, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. But I draw your attention what he says, basically what he says there to start with in verse um, number 11. Knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. Basically saying, hey, wake up out there. That's what he's saying to believers. Because we're just like sleepwalking through life. Go with me to Matthew 24. Matthew chapter 24. Look at me in verse 36. But of that day and hour knoweth no man. Third time we've seen that. No, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Now notice what he describes. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage. Ungodly people. Heathen, wicked people. They're eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage. How un... 
You say, that doesn't sound so bad. Well, the point isn't that they're doing evil things. The point is, let's continue. Until the day that Noah, Noah, entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. What he's saying is this. Up until the time the flood came, they just lived their life. They just ate, drank, married, and given marriage as it gave no thought to anything beyond this. They're just going through their life. They're, at, they're just like sleepwalking through life. Not aware, even though they have a preacher of righteousness, Noah, telling them, hey, you better get right. The flood is coming. End is coming. Just like we say, the Lord is returning. You better think about how you're living. They're just sleepwalking through life. That brings us to our third word. First word is ignorance. Second word was sin. Our third word is the word complacency. We get so busy just living our lives that we are lulled to sleep concerning spiritual things. We don't anticipate Christ's return because we're so consumed with this life. Even if the things that we're doing aren't not intrinsically bad. See, Pastor White, I, I don't go to the bars, I don't cuss, I don't drink, I don't do drugs, I don't fornicate. I live a pretty good life. But you live into yourself. And that's the problem. We just live into ourselves. It's our dreams, our plans, our goals. And we hope somewhere in the, in, in the midst the Lord kind of puts some spoofful dust and makes it all happen. Instead of saying, I want to live the best I can because I'm going to see him any moment. I'm anticipating his coming. We're not, we, we get complacent. Pastor White, before you ever were born, people were preaching about the return of Christ. He hasn't come yet. Mm-hmm. 120 years, Noah preached. You know, this is interesting. Noah was preaching 20 years about the, about the flood before he ever had kids. His kids didn't show up until the last 100 years. He was preaching for 20 years before he ever had kids. So all his kids ever knew was a dad who got up and kept saying, The flood's coming! The flood's coming! But they at least had enough wisdom to listen to their dad and get on the ark with their wives. Where everyone else said, Yeah, Noah, we've heard that sermon. You got any new ones? Nope, same one. 120 years. But the flood did come. And you can say, well, preacher, they've been talking about Jesus' return for the last 2,000 years. Yep, and he is coming. And you need to be ready. And there's a special blessing for those who anticipate his return. Now, my job as a pastor is not to come up with some, I'll put in air quotes, new thing to excite you. My job is to remind you of the same old truths that us as believers have known and lived for centuries, and keep reminding you of those things. Let me show you one more passage. We're getting really close to the end. Second Peter, chapter three. Second Peter, chapter three. We'll pick it up in verse one. This kind of brings it all together because it brings up Noah. It brings up the return of Christ. It kind of all just brings it together. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. The second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, 
and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last day scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Nothing's happened, nothing's changed, it's the same old, same old. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. In other words, just like God said. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. He who judged the world once will judge the world again. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. In other words, he, God doesn't live by our timetable or our calendars. God lives by his own, and he's never late or never early. He's always right on time. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, unexpectedly, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also, and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, watch what he says, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation, behavior, and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless. That has been the message that the Lord has had for us for 2,000 years. It's still the message of today. In a world that we live in that seems to be grasping for answers, we have the truth. Christ will return. Christ will reign. Our job is to be busy, holy, and faithful till we see him. And let's pray together. Father, I pray that you'd help us.